And welcome back to Coaching with the Bible. This week, episode number 54, for the reading of Vizota Bracha, the last portion in this cycle of the reading of the Torah, the five books of Moses, which will be read midweek on the holiday of Simcha Torah, the celebration of the happiness of the Torah on the completion of it in the middle of the coming week. But I wanted to get a head start with it. Also give me a little bit of a head start in preparing series two or season two of Coaching with the Bible beginning next week with our return to Genesis. Today's topic, personal red lines, or as some might call it, core values, moral values. But before we talk about our own red lines, I want to take a moment here as we complete this week the first series, the first group of Coaching with the Bible podcasts, 54 Strong, a little moment of gratitude. We've done this before. We've had moments of gratitude where I've thanked and have appreciated. But let's take a little bit more here to be appreciative and to be certainly uh, sense the gratitude and thank. Um, first, thank God for the opportunity to do this, for the opportunity to be alive right now. What a time to be alive in the world. To have the opportunity to share and to think and to talk about all these different kinds of topics and issues and each week coming up with new ones with everyone. I'm going to thank all of you who started with me from the beginning, uh, who joined midway, who have shared your thoughts, your questions, your comments, additional materials with me over the course of the weeks and months and now year. I appreciate every single one of you. In particular, I want to thank my family, usually my my loudest audience, uh, my biggest supporters, in particular among them, my children and my wife, Naomi, who I haven't mentioned by name in all these different weeks, but really is the rock and the root of any of this, because really each week um, when I have to disappear or I want to disappear or can disappear for a little while to finish preparing and then to record and then to upload So that takes support, and that takes encouragement, and that takes uh, patience and uh, appreciation. And knowing, I know that she knows that I enjoy doing this and that uh, this is important to me. And uh, so I appreciate you, and I appreciate her uh, for for that. Um, So thank you, Naomi, um, for it. it. Really, it's been an amazing run. And so I'm looking forward to doing it again with some modifications and some changes so that it's better only the second time around. So thank you all. Stay with me as we move into uh, year two and series two. And let's finish out strong with the completion of the book, the five books of Moses with this section called the Zota Bracha. And so I want to zoom in on the last words of the five books of Moses. The last words of the five books of Moses talk about the great things that Moses did before the eyes of the people. And so what it is that we have to consider what the things are, we're going to spend a little bit more time on the Torah portion than on the coaching portion uh, today, which we have done on occasion, not so much of late, but on occasion. When it is that we look at the list of things that Moses has accomplished and the things that he's accomplished in front of the people, so I imagine we can come up with a list top five list, the top 10 list. I think I may even mention the idea of thinking through a top five or a top 10 list of things that Moses has accomplished for the people or for the world 
but for the people in his time as their leader over the course of 40 years. And so one would think that standing up to Pharaoh, bringing the plagues, leading the people out of Egypt, uh, going up on the mountain of Sinai, speaking to God, uh, building the tabernacle, leading them through 40 years, teaching them, having patience. There's a ton of things that Moses has done. And so it's interesting to me that the one that the commentary Rashi mentions in particular here, that the one that he means, when the, the one that the Bible means when it says before the eyes of the people, that is the breaking of the tablets. That the last thing, the one we want to remember, the biggest, most important, greatest thing that Moses did was that he broke the, he broke the luchot. The Hebrew word for the tablets is luchot. He broke the tablets in front of the eyes of Moses. And so I've shared this idea with people over the course of many, many years, and I came across it a long time ago in the production of a, of a talk on the subject of the permissibility of Jewish spies and where that comes from. But there's a comment and a slight, and I would say an essay by Rabbi uh, Yaakov Kamenetsky in his work called Emet Yaakov. It's the last work in the section on this, on this week's reading. And he says that in respect to Moses breaking the tablets, two things here are important. One, that he broke them at all, and two, that he broke them in public. Breaking them in private would have accomplished the breaking of the tablets. It would also have accomplished the fact that the people were not going to merit getting them. They would have learned the lesson. But there seems to have been a value in doing it in public. And it seems that in doing it in public, Moses is in violation of a red line. This is where we get to red lines. In Judaism, there are certain red lines. There are certain things we simply cannot do, cannot violate. We might call them, some people colloquially, the big three. Three things we just we cannot do, ever. Right? So we don't murder, right? That's one of the big three. We cannot be asked to commit murder if we are asked to do such a thing. Rather give up ourselves than to commit murder. Number two is idol worship, right? So if we are forced to choose between idol worship and death, we should choose death and not choose idol worship. And the third is prohibitive uh, sexual relationships. So anything like that, if we're forced in those kinds of situations, we're learned and we learn from an early age and we're taught and we think about these kinds of scenarios, these are red lines. We do not cross them. And so in my mind, or according to Rabbi Kamenetsky, the breaking of the, of the tablets seems to be a violation of a red line. And so breaking them and breaking them in the manner in which Moses does, as Rabbi Kamenetsky comments, the language is very specific there. He breaks them into a million pieces. And so by doing, he's erasing God's name, which is imprinted and embedded and written on the tablets. It's essentially some form or a form of idol worship. His words. And yet he does it. And so doing it privately would have accomplished the same goal. No one would have seen it. But Moses is required to do them publicly. And in doing so publicly, it would appear that he's in violation of every moral principle that has been laid down over the course of all of his time as the leader. Except for what we now learn is one additional one. And so we have to think about red lines. Where are our red lines? What is the red line here that Moses is imposing on this moment, 
it is this, that the safety and the future and the livelihood, let's use that term, the life of the people overrides and supersedes everything and everything can be violated in the effect or in the effort to preserve the nation. Moses knows that if he doesn't break the tablets and he brings them down, that God will bring his wrath upon the people, destroy the people. That simply cannot happen. The destiny of the world, moral world, principled world, religious world, ethical world, monotheistic world is at stake here in this moment. And so a new red line, which maybe was not known before, is now embedded into the system. Everything can be violated. It would appear if the intent is to preserve the life of the people, of the nation of Israel. They must learn that lesson. They must see that lesson publicly done in the destruction of the tablets in, in their face. And so the greatest thing that Moses does, according to Rabbi Kamenetsky, is he teaches them this lesson, this overarching moral principle of the preservation of the people. And so I asked the question, flipping it over for coaching with the Bible, is what are your red lines? Just parenthetically, which I thought was interesting, the term red line, where does that come from? It's just a strange term. The term red line, which we will call, is basically something that's a point of no return. It's the line in the sand, right? It's a limit past which nothing is safe, that you're not going to cross, you're not going to go there. There's the line, I'm not going over it. Parenthetically, came about at the end of the Ottoman Empire, 19, after in the late 1920s, when the U.S., the U.K., um, and France were splitting up sort of the oil reserves of the Ottoman Empire, there was an Armenian businessman named, I think it's pronounced, Kaluste Gulbenkian, who used a red pencil to draw arbitrary lines that divided the empire. So there you go, the red line. Very nice. Congratulations to us. We learned something. But really what's more important is to think about for ourselves as to where our red lines are. How did we develop those red lines? When, if ever, do they shift, change, update, disappear? How do we talk about, how do we think about, how do we develop those core value systems of our being that move us through each and every day, that help us decision-make in our lives each and every day as we go through it? It's not arbitrary. We're not going to sort of randomly put together each time um, a, a set of uh, reasonings that are going to determine what we do or what we don't do. We have a set of principles in place. These are our red lines. I will do X. I will not do Y. In circumstance A, if I have to choose between one action versus another, I'm always going to choose, let's say, A over B every single time because I've developed a moral line, right? A moral line, effectively is what we're talking about, my moral line, my moral compass, my core value set that will not allow me to do the other thing. It's not like something where I just like this versus I don't like this. I don't, I like to take out the garbage. I don't like to make dinner. That's not what we're talking about. These are core fundamental at our and in our souls, in our essence of who we are as people, our core value system. What do we put first? What do we protect? What do we put up a fight for? 
what do we simply shrug off in terms of our red lines, in terms of our personal values, our core values, our moral principles, our moral development? How did we get there? Right? So some of these are things, you know, treating others the way we want to be treated. That's one of our moral principles. Speaking the truth, not lying. Right? Stuff like that. Keeping our word. Don't take things that don't belong to us. I mean, these are basics. Obviously, many of the things I just mentioned all appear in the Bible. But that's not the point of the list. It's really of how we think about these things and how we get to them, how we develop them. And so uh, earlier, last year or so, I worked on a, um, a coaching program. And one of the things that, uh, that we learned was developing our own authentic leadership model, we really had to get to our own personal core value system. Like what were the core, our core values? We had to get to two core values. We start with, this is sort of the idea here in the coaching with the Bible. How do we do this? How do we develop them? How do we think about them? So the first thing is really take a values, what I'll call a values inventory. And these exist online. You can, you can just look core values list and they'll come up. And to work through that list of 50, okay, started 50, recently did this with someone, went from 50 to 15. So I had to choose 15 from the 50, 15 down to 10, 10 down to 5, 5 down to 3, 3 down to 2. That was the exercise that I had done for myself. And this is the exercise that I do with a lot of people uh, in leadership training, working with nonprofit leaders, working with really anybody private coaching clients, whatever that is. I want to get them to the essence, two core values that everything else emanates from, everything else fits into, which define effectively who they are as a person. It is not an easy task and is not an easy exercise because to some degree you're splitting hairs between terminology and language in terms of values. And you're determining which one is the greater of my personal values which one embodies or has embedded within it some of the other ones. And we don't want two that are similar. And so we have to go to that space and really do that sort of, to some degree, gut-wrenching work to figure out, well, what are my values? Where do they come from? What are they based on? How did I get there? And so it's super important, A, that we do it because it really helps us live a better life. It really helps us eliminate more than anything else bad decisions, things that we don't want to be doing, things that we don't want to be participating in, really helps us focus in on our goals and our ultimate results and the things that we want to accomplish in life. And so what I would suggest here, first thing, is when we're trying to work out what our red lines are, I have that open conversation. I think that's super important. People that you love, people that you care about, people that you respect, ask, ask them, like, what's your red line? What are your red lines? What's your core four principles as a human being? See if they line up with yours. Take a values inventory test. Work your way from the 50 to the two. See what you come up with. See how long it takes you. See what kind of sort of internal struggle battle you come up with. So again, first thing I think is to have that conversation with people, talk it out, really discuss your moral principles openly, freely. Don't be embarrassed. It's yours. Everyone has their own real unique set. Even though the religions prescribe and set and determine and delineate lines, within those, there are people who are lenient in a certain way or stringent another way. You get the idea. So do the inventories list. I think it's really important. That's one. Two, I think think about the people who you might admire or love or uh, 
you know, view as heroes in your life. They don't have to be superheroes. They don't have to be athletic heroes. People you look up to, people who you want to be like, let's say. And think about the values that those people embody. So if it's Martin Luther King or it's a spiritual leader of your own faith or it's a political leader or it's a friend, what about that person? connects you to them? What about their value system inspires you, moves you? Is it their stance on social justice? Is it their, um, their work with the poor? Um, how they respect and treat other people? Really go to that. Think about that. Write it down even for yourself. So first again is the list, the inventory list, we're going 50 to two. The second thing is to look at the, let's say, you know, three to five people and write their names down and then think about the values that they embody. I think that really, really helps. And then obviously like we do all the time is really observe yourself and, and really, really do the inner work. I think this is a lot of inner work with yourself as to what do I believe? Why do I believe what I believe? Where did that come from? Is that myth? Is it fact? Is it folklore? Is it true? Is it really a value? Did I make it up? Where did it come from? And then observe how you make difficult choices. How, do, how, do, how did I come to that decision? Not about career or anything per se. It could be career, but it could be anything else. And how did I get to that space? And really do the work, because a lot of what we talked about in Coaching with the Bible over the year is the inner work, the self-work, the personal development that we need to do on a constant and consistent basis to improve as human beings and to improve our condition, to become better people, to accomplish more in the world by being better people for ourselves and for the people around us. So to some degree, it's coaching for others and it's also coaching ourselves. How do we go there? How do we develop that? How do we put that through? And then by virtue of seeing that, knowing your values and knowing yourself, you're able to really put into motion a very clear set for, our, for yourself what it is that you will do and what it is that you won't do. And I'll be honest with you, it is okay to change. We don't have to be set or stuck in a manner in which we thought or manner in which we patterned our thinking or person that we observed and admired earlier on in our lives that no longer holds that space. We're not stuck on it forever. We do evolve. We do move. We do mature. Our thinking changes. And so it's important, though, to change with the way our thinking changes and to change our behaviors based on the way that our thinking changes and to go into that work and to really do the work for ourselves on our values, on our morals, on our ethical, on our ethics, sorry, and our core principles about who we are as people, what it is that we believe, why it is that we believe what we believe, and then to go forward with that into the coming days. I am super looking forward to Coaching with the Bible season series two, which starts next week. Thank you again for being with me. Thank you again for listening each and every week. Looking forward to seeing you. Those who are celebrating the holiday of Sukkot this week, happy holiday. 
those of you who are celebrating the completion of the five books of Moses with me, or just in general, next week, congratulations, more power to you. Let's do it again in the coming year. See you next week in Coaching with the Bible.